Good to see everyone out this morning. I say, I say every year that I'm going to go to bed an hour earlier <clears throat> to try to adapt to that hour that we lose, and it never seems to happen. And so uh, here we are, and hopefully you're not planning on getting that hour back this morning while I'm up here talking. I've heard of preachers throwing songbooks at people when they fall asleep. I've never done that, so don't tempt me. You're probably wondering what that is on the screen. Well, before we talk about what's on the screen, I want us to realize that the Bible teaches us that we are a family. That we are the family of God. That we're the household of God. That we are a fellowship. That we are together. And there's a great emphasis on the unity that we find in the Bible concerning the church. That we should be united, all speaking the same things and following God's plan to the best of our ability. How many have seen the movie Ice Age? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Well, if you haven't seen that movie, you've missed some uh, interesting things. And I think every once in a while, Hollywood can give us something or make a phrase in, the, in a uh, scene that teaches us a lesson. If you haven't seen the movie, then if you have, then you realize what it's about. There are three unlikely companions who are united in a common mission, and that is to save a baby boy that they've been given by a mother. And the three include a, a, a mammoth who is named Manfred, a sloth who is named Sid, and a saber-toothed tiger named Diego. In their efforts to save the child, the three ended up expressing their love and their commitment to each other and their concern that they had for each other. And when Mumford the Mammoth saved Diego the Tiger, Diego asked the question, why did you do that? You could have died trying to save me. And humbly... The mammoth responds, that's what you do in a herd. You look out for each other. And Sid says out loud, I don't know about you guys, but we are the weirdest herd I've ever seen. And I thought about that as I look around. That is very true, isn't it, about all of us? In fact, as I worked on this lesson, I looked up other words for weird. Strange pops up. But it also, a synonym for weird is peculiar. And isn't that what Peter says that we're supposed to be? A peculiar people. But we are one weird herd when you think about it. We have different personalities. We have different backgrounds. We come from different parts of the country. Different ideas. We have different convictions. Different abilities. Different faults. And different needs. And sometimes, we even need to be corrected in our lives. 
The truth of the matter is this. We most likely would have never hung out together if we did not have one thing in common. And that it that is our love for God and our love for Jesus Christ. It's a love that transforms us into being like Him, like Jesus. Loving and caring for one another and caring for those that are outside of these walls. We also have something else in common. We may not like to admit, but we all fail. We all, at one time or another, need someone else to become our helper, our healer, our restorer, and our brother's keeper. Someone who will walk with us, who will pick us up, who will dust us off, who will mend our wounds, carry our burdens, and nurse us back to spiritual health. You see, when we have a run-in with Satan and with sin, it makes us seem that our world is falling apart and there's sometimes difficulties that we have getting up from that struggle and going on. The question is, do you have someone to come to the rescue? And if you know of someone that's in need of a rescue, are, they, are you that individual that is willing to step out and to help that individual? That's what our lesson is about today. Being a brother's keeper, being a friend. You see, loving and caring enough to look out for the well-being of someone else. Carrying someone else's burden and helping them through this life. And helping them that hopefully that someday we'll all make it to our final goal, which is heaven. And it goes all the way back to the first family. With Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. It was Cain who asked the question, Am I my brother's keeper in Genesis chapter 4? If you know the story, you know that he was jealous of his brother. And that he ended up killing his brother. And then God comes along and asks, Where is thy brother Abel? And Cain's response was, Am I my brother's keeper? And I believe that inevitably the answer to that question is yes. It could not be any plainer. Because it is God's desire and His will for His children to look out for one another. You think about it at the dinner table, if someone, if you gathered around the table and one of your family members that was supposed to be there was not there, would you have a concern? Let's say you had no idea where they were at, what they were doing, and you sit down at the table, would you be concerned with where they're at? Would you be concerned enough to get on the phone, maybe even get up from the table, make a phone call trying to find where they're at or what's going on? Or would you just allow that, that seat to be empty and remain empty for days, for weeks, and then all of a sudden they walk in the door and they sit down at the dinner table that evening and you don't say a word? Would you think that would happen in your life? 
I would doubt if any one of us would, would, would accept that. I would, not, I, would, I would think that each one of us would say, where were you at? And I'd venture to say that the majority of us would not wait until they walk back in the door to do what we know we need to do to show our concern. Look at some passages of Scripture. <clears throat> because I don't believe that it could be any plainer when we look at God's Word that He expects you and I to be concerned about each other and to be concerned about those out there in the world. In Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17, it says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. What's that telling us? Friends are there sometimes. They love you and things are going good. They're there. But we also realize that when the going gets tough, sometimes our friends get going. They're out of our picture. They're out of our lives. But family sticks together. I've seen families that are were dysfunctional and something goes wrong and they all pull together. They'll fight that battle. They'll help that individual. But when that crisis is over, they go back to being dysfunctional. That's not what God's telling us. As God's people, we need to be concerned about each other. We need to love each other. We need to realize that we are family, that we're part of the herd, and that we need to be concerned about each other. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, Jesus says unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. We understand that, that God wants to be number one, that He wants every ounce of our fiber, every ounce of our being to be in love with Him, to be concerned about Him, that He wants to be first. But then Jesus goes on to say, And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. And notice Jesus doesn't stop right there. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. He goes on to say, as thyself. How much do you love yourself? Some of us may not love ourselves very much. But we're supposed to love ourselves. And we're not going to do something to harm ourselves. We're going to look out for our well-being. question is, do we love others enough to look out for their well-being? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Notice what Jesus says, how you want to be treated, how you want someone to be concerned about you, you need to be concerned about them. How many times have you heard someone, and maybe you've said it yourself, I was sick and nobody came to visit me. I was struggling and nobody came to help. And the question is, when someone else was sick, did you go and help them? When you saw someone else struggling, did you take the time out of your schedule to go help them? Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How you want to be treated is what you're supposed to be doing to other people. Do we practice that in our lives? Is Jesus saying, be concerned about the herd? I think that He is. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
Be concerned about others. Don't just live your life all to yourself. I've heard that expression, no man is an island. We are, we're not all here on, in, a, in our little bubble and it's all to, uh, to ourselves. We're to look around. We're family. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and the pillar and grounds of the truth. God is telling us that there's a way that we're supposed to act as Christians. As the church of God, as His people, there is something that we're supposed to do. You know, as, as parents, most of us look at our children and would say, there are certain expectations that we have out of you. You may not go to college and, and, and earn some big degree, but we expect you to be decent individuals. We expect you to be good citizens. We expect you to be kind. We expect you to do certain things in your life. God expects certain things out of our lives, out of your life, out of my life. Paul tells Timothy that we ought to know how to behave in the house of God. And that's not just this building, because the church is the house of God. The people are the church of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5, as was read for us, says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every one shall bear his own burden." And if you drop down to Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Whereas we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We'll come back and we'll discuss this those verses in a little bit. But first I want us to realize, as I said earlier, there's one thing that we all have in common. And that is that we all fail. We all slip. We struggle. We fall. We fail, spiritually speaking. Paul says there in Galatians chapter 6, if a man be overtaken in a fault. Some translations say if a man be overtaken in a trespass. The Greek word there translate, that's translated fault or trespass means to slip. It carries the idea that it's a surprise. It's like the individual that slips on a banana peel or slips on the ice. That's what it's talking about there. That you're walking along, and I'm sure that some of us have had this experience where we're walking along, especially when it's cold outside and there may be ice, black ice, or something that's out there that's slippery. You're walking along and you slip, and you're, before you know it, you're flat on your back. The first thing you do is you look around to see if anybody saw you. If no one saw you, then you feel safe and you get up and you go on. If someone's there, they say, Oh, are you okay? What do you say? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's okay. And you go about your business. And then later that evening, what happens? You start to feel 
that, yeah, I did fall. My body hurts. My body aches. And then you go to bed and you get up the next morning and you find out that it hurts more than you thought it did. And that's kind of what happens, what we're talking about here, is that we're overtaken in a fall. We're just going along, spiritually speaking, everything's going well, and then all of a sudden we've slipped. We think everything's okay, but then when you start to look around, you realize that you're not in the shape that you thought you were. That you've been overtaken in a fall. And like sheep, it's not done deliberately. It's a little nibble here, a little nibble there. Miss a Bible class here, miss a worship service here, miss an event that we have. And before you know it, you look up and the herd's gone. God's gone. God is no longer close and intimate with you. It's not God's fault. He didn't move. It's not the church's fault. They didn't move. We did. And we need someone to come alongside of us to lift us up, to set us straight, to restore us and nurse us back to health. That's all some people need. They woke up and they realized something's wrong. And they need someone to come along and help. They don't need to be lectured. You go visit that individual or take some time with that individual. They don't need to be preached to. They know why you're there. They know what your concern is. And really, all you need to do sometimes, sometimes they may need a lecture, sometimes they may need a, a sermon. But in a lot of cases, and probably most cases, they just need to be loved and encouraged and lifted up and brought back on the road. They don't need to be a heavy burden because they're your brother. I suppose you can probably already figure out where I'm going next. Because back in 1969, the Hollies had a song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And the words of that song go like this, the road is long, with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where. Who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry Him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Now, I've got that song in your head. You can sing it in your head all afternoon. But see, even the music industry can teach us some things. Because in a few moments, we're going to look at another verse of that song. But we need to realize that we cannot become a brother's keeper. We can't care enough about others unless and until we see them as brothers and sisters. 
How many of us look at each other and see the family relationship? I look in the mirror sometimes and I said, Whew, there's my dad. You know, and we all try to avoid those types of things. We don't want to be like our parents, but we all turn out that way. But when we look at each other, how many of us say, there's my Father in Heaven. I can see Jesus in your life. What you're doing resembles, makes, reminds me of Him every time I see you. How many of us say that about each other? So this morning, the second point of my lesson is this. What kind of men and women make good restorers? What attributes are necessary for us to have? And I think Paul gives us the answer to that question. What attributes do we need to have? Well, first of all, he says if you're going to be a restorer, you must be spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Notice that Paul did not say, you that are perfect, you go restore that one. Because I think Paul realized that none of us would ever be perfect. In fact, when he looked at his own life, he could still see that there were things that he needed to work on. Spiritually, we must not equate being spiritually or being spiritual with being perfect or perfection. I believe that in the context, Paul tells us what he's talking about. You know, we enjoy having book, chapter, and verse, but I think sometimes those chapters and verses break up the meaning to where we stop at the end of a chapter and we say, that's it, and we move on to the next chapter. But I believe that sometimes when you take out that chapter marking and you just back up, you can see the context that it's talking about, and it's talking about walking in the Spirit, having the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Those are the things that we need to have in our lives. Those are the things that need to be demonstrated in our lives that show that we are a spiritual being. That we are what God wants us to be. Will we have all of those all the time? Probably not, because we're going to fail. But we're working on those things all the time in our lives because we want to be more like Jesus. But listen to what he says in verse 24 and verse 25. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their sinful flesh and the passions and the desires that go along with that uh, fleshly desires. And since they obey the Gospel, they live by the Spirit that keeps them in step with the Spirit. And when we have that fruit, it shows that we're in step with God. That is what I believe Paul is talking about when he talks about ye which are spiritual are being formed in the image of Christ. 
It is a present and ongoing process. It's something that doesn't happen overnight. It's something that we grow and continue to grow in. And as I said, we may not always possess all the fruit at the, at the same time because none of us have completely transformed into the image of a Christ, but we're working on it. And we're striving for that. And that's our desire. And as long as that's our desire and we're working on it, it will happen. It's when we neglect those areas that we have problems. Second, a restorer must be humble. Paul says each of us as restorers must watch ourselves. We have to be on guard. When we go and try to restore someone that has slipped up, we need to realize that we can be tempted also. As it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, For if a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. You see, we must not think of ourselves as something special. When we go to that individual, we need to realize that we can be tempted by sin just like that individual was. We don't want to go to that individual looking at, oh, I would never do what you did. Oh, I would never act the way you've acted. Oh, I would never be caught in that situation like you were. That was, that's just not me. I'm, I'm too strong for that. My friend, don't ever say that we're too strong for anything. As a restorer and a helper, a healer, a brother, a friend, we must not be prideful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Be careful with that attitude. I would never do that. Because I've known a lot of times that when we say never, we end up doing just exactly what we say we would never do. You see, a restorer has his sense of humility and respect for sin and for Satan and what they can do to one's life. Because they also realize that they were once trapped and overcome, that they were overtaken in the past and know that it can happen again. What a restorer cannot be is self-righteous. When you go to someone and they sense that you're self-righteous, that usually shuts off that switch. They're not going to listen to anything that you have to say. So don't be self-righteous. <clears throat> be humble. The third point, the restorer must be gentle. King James says, with meekness. You who are spiritual, restore, such a, restore him in a spirit of meekness. There is no place for a mean spirit and restoration work. You can't have an ugly spirit, mean spirit, you are always, or someone that's always finding fault with whatever's going on, whatever's happening in someone else's life. 
You can't be a restorer and have a critical and judgmental attitude toward others. You can't listen to and pass on gossip. You can't have a loose tongue. You have to be able to keep a secret. And if you can't do all of those things, if you can't have a good spirit, if you can't not find fault, if you're one of those individuals that's always just looking for something, then you're not going to be a good restorer. You see, restorers practice confidentiality at all times. Because sometimes the people's problems aren't something that everyone knows about. And they don't want everybody to know about it. And sometimes that's part of the struggle because they don't really know how to deal with it or how to get help with it or how you can help them with it. But there's one thing they know for sure. They don't want you telling everybody else. And that gets back to what Jesus said about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, most of us, we don't want people hearing about our problems. At least not from somebody else. And so if you don't want someone else to hear about your problems because you've confided in someone then don't be that individual that when they confide in you, that you're going out and you're telling everybody. And you say, well, I'm only going to tell my best friend. I'm only going to tell someone that I'm close to. Because they won't tell anybody. Just remember how you got the message to begin with because they thought you wouldn't tell somebody. And now you've told somebody else. And guess what? That person has another good friend. may not even be you. And they may share that message with somebody else. And before you know it, somebody has to publish it out there so everybody can hear about it. And what have you accomplished except to drive that person farther away? There's one more in our text that I believe is easy to overlook. And that is the restorer must be persistent. As it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I think sometimes we take a passage and we just lift it out of the context, and it has good meaning for different situations, but I believe that it also applies here in this situation. Now, when someone has been overtaken in a fault, we have to be persistent. We can't give up. And many times it's easy to give up. But here it tells us to not be weary in the work of bringing souls back into the right relationship with God and His people. Where it tells us that we will reap if we faint not. And it goes on in chapter or verse 10 of chapter 6, And if we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. We talk about that in the benevolent area, that we are to do good to all men. But we also need to realize that souls need to be saved. Souls that have wandered away. Those that have slipped away. Those that got up and it wasn't their determination that day, but things have just kind of drifted away and the herd's gone. God's gone. Their relationship with God isn't what it was. And they need to be brought back. And when we have that opportunity, we need to seize that opportunity. Brother, that's not just talking about me as the preacher. That's talking about all of us. I know that there are some who are trying to restore people. They're trying to get them back. 
And the fact of the matter is, we get tired. We get tired of the excuses, of the manipulation, of being used, and of trying and trying and trying and trying. But what we must do is be like God. Never, never, ever give up. And guess what? Like the next verse of that song, so on we go. His welfare is my concern. No burden is He to bear. We'll get there. For I know He would not encumber me. Why? Because He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Brethren, do we look at each other and care about each other that much? I want you to listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. You might want to flip over there because we're going to look at a few verses there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Paul says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. What's he saying? That we have a responsibility to reward or to warn those that are unruly, those that are not living right, those that are not doing right. We have a responsibility to tell them that this is what you need to do. You need to change. Helping them to realize that there's a judgment that's coming. We need to comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. We need to help those that are in those situations that they're struggling with. And sometimes it's not any uh, their own doing. It's not their own doing that causes it. Sometimes things just happen. It helps to make them weak. But be patient toward all men. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? And you go to the individual and you're trying to help them and to restore them and encourage them to come back and do the right thing and you're telling them that this is what you need to do. I want to help you. I'm going to be there for you. I'll encourage you. You show them that you love them. You show them that you care for them. You show them that you want them to make it to heaven along with you. We rejoice evermore. Be happy knowing what we have. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I always think that's amazing why that's in that verse. In everything, give thanks. When we're thankful, we realize how blessed we are. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 
Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Brethren, we need to live in peace with each other. We're part of the herd. We may be a weird herd, but we're part of the herd. We're part of the family of God. We need to lift up those who are idle. We need to encourage the timid. We need to help the weak. We need to be patient with everyone. I want to end with this story. don't know if it's true, but I read it. I'm going to pass it along. There was a Marine who walked into an ICU unit. The nurse met him at the door, saying, Your father has had a serious heart event and could die at any moment. The Marine stood in the room for a moment, surveyed the situation, sat down and took the dying man's hand. And there was a mutual squeeze to show their love and his presence. Throughout the night, the nurse encouraged the soldier to take a break, to leave his post and get something to eat or drink. He never moved. He just continued to hold the man's hand. At morning's light, the nurse came in and said, Your father has passed away. Releasing the man's hand, the Marine said, Who is this man? The nurse was startled. Why, he's your father. He said, not my father. I've never seen this man before. The nurse said, why didn't you tell me? The Marine said, I entered the room. I assessed the situation. I saw the need. The man needed a son. He was much too sick to know who I was. And knowing how much he needed me, I stayed. I got to tell you, that's what being a brother's keeper is about. Seizing opportunities that we have. Because it was Jesus that said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. People need a hand to hold an ear to listen, and a voice that encourages. I ask you, are you that person? This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can do so. You have that opportunity when we stand aside.